This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you guys. And uh, wow, can you believe it? We're already into September, a couple days, and uh, it's going by fast. But a very important topic today. Um, I've got a brand new book that I really want to share with you about. It's just um, very important. It's called The Shadow of Death. Um, and it's Fernando Arroyo and his battles in Fallujah and the battle for his soul. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about what he learned and how he helps veterans now. But before we do that, I want to mention next Friday in studio, we're going to have an unscripted podcast. What I mean by that is we're not going to uh, de- decide topics in advance. We are going to have pastors Chris Quintana and Dr. Andy Woods in studio because they're going to be in town for the Great Lakes Prophecy Conference in Appleton, Wisconsin. I'll be speaking there, by the way, next Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Uh, not tomorrow, but a week from uh, Saturday. Uh, so we're going to have an unscripted podcast next week. If you'd like to email your questions for the pastors, get a pastor's perspective on anything, and I mean anything, no topic off limits, email comments at standupforthetruth.com. Again, Andy Woods, Chris Quintana in studio next Friday. It's going to be great. So looking forward to that. Um, I just want to share a scripture from Philippians today. Uh, you're very familiar with chapter 4, uh, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then it, it, he tells you what to think about, whatever is true, whatever is honor, honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure. So Philippians 4, Lord, give us wisdom today. We pray in Jesus' name that you would guide this conversation, that you would bless those who need to be encouraged and touched with this information and uh, allow us all to have that biblical worldview and that perspective uh, that we are here for such a time as this, and we are here to love our neighbors. That means helping others, but it also means speaking the truth in love and show us how to do that with grace, but without apology and compromise. We uh, ask that you'd strengthen us in the church, Lord, for further attacks on the church and that we would be able to know how to respond to them, that we might be able to get some people converted to the kingdom uh, before it's too late. Use us, God. Help us to bear fruit that will last in Jesus' name, amen. Um, uh, third segment today, we're going to be talking about how they've been changing and redefining language. So they are now talking about they, meaning the left and those that s- support abortion, removing pregnancies. What does that mean? Removing pregnancies. That's what they call abortion, right? They don't want to use the word abortion or, or really describe the process or the procedure, but it's just removing a pregnancy. That's all it does. So they're softening things. And we've heard this in, in any, a lot of other ways too. They're changing language, changing words. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Plus, we have to talk about this. I didn't watch Joe Biden's divisive speech last night. He's supposed to be the great unifier, right? That's what he campaigned on when he was running against President Donald Trump. But he seems to be dividing the country. And I've got a lot of information, a lot of people's comments on it. I didn't see it, like I said, but I saw the picture that it really is astounding to me, that picture that, that was by, on purpose. They, they choose backgrounds for presidential uh, appearances and speeches on purpose. If you saw that and you're a Christian, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? It looked kind of demonic. Uh, even someone on CNN said, hey, it looked a little militaristic. I'm going, yeah, well, he's trying to divide and he's really... Um, doing a good job. But anyway, let's get to our very important topic about a very good book, a brand new book, and it's called The Shadow of Death. My guest today is author and U.S. Army veteran Fernando Arroyo. He's a former paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. Fernando helped create a veterans association at Biola University while earning a Master's of Divinity degree, and he later worked at the Orange County Rescue Mission as the veteran services case manager. He counsels and serves vets who are struggling with issues ranging from PTSD 
drug addiction, homelessness. He works as Veterans Outreach Director at Step Forward Academy, helping vets and their families. And again, his brand new book, I'm going to give you the subtitle as well, The Shadow of Death, From My Battles in Fallujah to the Battle for My Soul. Fernando Arroyo, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth, brother. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I almost said uh, Fernando Ortega. There's a Christian music artist that's been around for many, <laughs> many, many decades. And uh, so forgive me for that. But anyway, we're so glad to have you on and get your perspective. First of all, before we get into your book and some questions I want to ask and maybe some of the content, share a little bit about where you were at in your faith before you joined the Army. Yeah, I um. So I grew up in Bell Gardens, California, mm-hmm. which is a small city by East L.A., and I grew up going to church. My my mom was the one who was very adamant that my brother and I were going to go to church, and every Sunday we went to church. Back in those days, it was twice on Sundays. So we had a Sunday morning service, come back home, chill, and then we're back in the evening. Um, so my mom was really about me knowing who Jesus is. And at a young age, I believed in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I, I remember being five years old, and um, every night before I went to bed, I, I I would pray. You know, I just, I believed in Jesus. Or when someone made a comment about, especially like I grew up around a lot of, a lot of Catholics, and they would make a comment about how they pray to the Virgin Mary, I'd have to say something about that. Like, <laughs> well, hold on, let me tell you something. Like, you know, Jesus is the mediator, so... Um, yeah, uh, I believed in Christ, and uh, I grew up going to church. Oh, praise God. Good mom, by the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, parents, you know, don't be your kids' friends. Um, you know, be their parent and just yeah. guide them, give them, you know, show them the way. Uh, so then you joined the Army. How old were you when you got into the Army, Fernando? I was 17 years old. Wow. So, um yeah, it was on September 11, 2001. I was a senior at Bell Gardens High School, and uh, that day there were no lectures. I just watched, you know, the other teachers rolled out their TV sets, and we just watched all day um, the replays. I watched live at first in the morning, watching the Twin Towers get hit by these airplanes and people committing suicide because they would rather, you know, commit suicide than burn alive in these right. buildings. And, um yeah, throughout the day, watching it on repeat and hearing that America's under attack and then hearing that it was Osama bin Laden was the mastermind from a country called Afghanistan and that it was uh, al-Qaeda and that the Taliban was protecting them in Afghanistan and that we're going to war. Um, as a young kid, I knew I wanted to join. And when this happened, I knew it was time. Wow. And because I was 17, my parents had to sign the uh, uh, the form to get permission for me to join. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I graduated in 2000, June of 2002, mm-hmm. then in August of 2002, I was off to infantry school. Wow. that's a, Now, so did you graduate from high school? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I had to graduate. Okay. Uh, so I'll be honest, I wasn't a good student. <laughs> uh, I found school to be boring. I don't know. Uh I remember telling teachers I wanted to join the the army. Like, that's what I wanted to do since I was a kid. And they said, oh, no, don't do that. It's a waste of time. Maybe it's because, you know, left-wing liberal teachers or whatever. But, (laughs) um, yeah, no, there was no changing my mind about it. And I knew what I wanted to do. And I had to push myself my senior year because the army recruiter said, you need to graduate on time or else this contract isn't going to be invalid. I said, okay. So I... Made sure I actually had perfect attendance my senior year just because I wanted to go to the Army. So you were already thinking that direction. That was a desire and somewhat motivated. But when 9-11-2001 and the attacks on America happened, that was it. Like that was your that was all the motivation you needed, right? Yeah, it was time for me to answer the call. Interesting. So I did see a picture. I was going on your website or it may have been your Facebook page. Uh, I saw a picture of you by a, a, it looks like a painting or a photo of Saddam Hussein. Uh, where was that? And tell us about that. So my first deployment was in 2003 to Fallujah, Iraq. <clears throat> and uh, eventually I was at, a, we called it FOB, Forward Operating Base Volturno, which later became known as Camp Fallujah. But 
there was uh, some convoys were being attacked. Supply convoys were being attacked. I was in a reconnaissance sniper platoon, a scout sniper platoon. Mm-hmm. So we were sent out to stop these attacks to keep the supplies flowing. So we went out to a weapons factory a few miles outside of Fallujah, and we went to this uh, very nice corporate-looking building, which I think maybe was like an Iraqi Defense Department building. It looked very official. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to describe it. And uh, we were acquiring furniture Mm -hmm. and other things that we could use because we were living in this empty – I mean, it was a disgusting place. It was – infested with rats or whatever that's just how you live when you're a grunt you know and uh so we wanted some uh some fancy stuff we go to this building to take furniture and i take an elevator to like the third floor of this building and there's this oval this huge desk like mahogany wood really nice leather chairs and then there's two of these posters of saddam hussein on the wall and my buddy and i look at each other and we're like yeah we're taking these (laughs) <laughs> and I broke the glass, rolled it up, put it in my cargo pocket, and uh, walked out of there with it. Wow. So um, I, I just want to share, for those of you that just tuned in, if you joined the podcast late, we're speaking with Fernando Arroyo, and his book is called The Shadow of Death. And I want to just quote you, Fernando. Uh, you once prayed this, God, why did you keep me alive? I trusted yeah. you. Lord, and you failed me. You should have let me die in Iraq. And I I share that because I want our listeners to understand the level of despair you had or or just confusion or wondering about your purpose in life, and you you were in war. And so the description of the book, The Shadow of Death, is a candid, poignant story of one warrior's descent into unimaginable despair and his glorious redemption in God. So we'll get to that, Fernando. But first, where can people get the book? What's the best place? Um, so it's available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it. But um, if you go to paratrooperarroyo.com, there's a link in my website, and uh, paratrooperarroyo.com. That's, uh, we got some links on there. So Okay, you've got a picture of three men, three brothers-in-arms, right on the homepage of your website. And uh, just describe that photo. Yeah, that was at the Beji Oil Refinery. That was my third combat deployment, my second time to Iraq. And, uh, yeah, my buddy Jerry Miller and Doc McLean are on that in that picture. And uh, we just took a moment. I remember, I think that day we got a report that there was a bomb at the Beji oil refinery and we found it and uh, the explosive ordnance disposal team put C4 on it and the timer was taking forever. So as we waited for this bomb to explode, we decided to take a cool picture. Wow. So you're waiting for a bomb to go off there. You, <laughs> yeah. you guys all look so calm. <laughs> yeah. Like it's another day in yeah. Iraq. Jeez. So that's a perspective that most Americans, most people listening, civilians just don't understand. And I can probably assume that that comes from very good training and preparation. Am I right? That as well as uh, it's just you just learn to live in chaos. Mm. I don't know how to explain it. It becomes uh, part of life, yeah. That's good. You learn to live in chaos. Um, And sometimes chaos actually helps people respond the right way. Um, So let's get into the book a little bit. And again, friends, The Shadow of Death. Did this just come out, Fernando? Yeah, it came out August 3rd, so three weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. So it's literally hot off the presses. Hot off the press. Yeah. yeah. So let's start with, um, I'm just going to look at some of the, table of contents chapter one is called torment um pretty provocative why start there and it was that when you were over in iraq no so the that beginning chapter was uh actually one of the lowest points in my life hmm. and the way i wanted to write this to share my testimony because that's what this book is is my testimony um it's the lowest point in my life where I reached the point like so many veterans where I just felt like I didn't know my purpose. I didn't feel, um, I had no community I felt. And, um, I, I just decided it was time to, uh, to end my own life. Mm-hmm. And I have so many friends who have done that. Wow. And I almost did that. 
so the chapter, yeah, torment, it starts off with, uh, you know, I was having nightmares and the nightmares were so vivid. They felt so real. I'd wake up just soaked in sweat with a pistol in my hand because I couldn't sleep without a pistol within arm's reach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I was sick of it. I was so tired of it. You know, I can't even sleep. I can't, I was having, um, <clears throat> panic attack like symptoms during the day every now and then maybe every other day where either I'm having a flashback because I hear a song on the radio or uh, a a certain smell takes me back to you know tragic events whether I lost a friend or friends who were wounded things that I witnessed that you know tragedies of war so at in that chapter, torment, it's the torment of the nightmares and uh, living a life that I thought wasn't worth living. Mm. And I came to the point that I wanted to take my life. Well, I just want to read a little bit from your story and let you elaborate on it. Because and I want to remind people right now, you have been helping American veterans for years, and you're doing a lot of great work, counseling, pastoral help, and you've been there, so you understand, you can relate to them, and because of your Christian faith, you can speak into their lives what they really, really need, both uh, spiritual, mental, physical healing. But you say this, um, I decided that the best days of my life were behind and that I was going to take my life. One night I drank an, an excessive amount of alcohol and I decided I would take my life. I placed a pistol in my mouth and asked God to save me, but there was no response. I placed the pistol and took the safety off as I prayed in my mind and I heard a bang That startled me. So I dropped my pistol and looked around, but there was no blood. God intervened. And I think I read somewhere else, Fernando, that a Bible had fallen off your desk onto the floor, and that was the bang you heard. Could you share a little bit more? Yeah. um, Very tense moment, very traumatic moment. Uh, I was ready to end everything. I felt hopeless, but I also was crying out for help. And mm. I said, God, if you're there, save me. And there was no response. Wow. So then I, with my thumb on the trigger, I said, okay, uh, this isn't going to hurt. I won't feel anything. I'm just going to slowly up, up, just apply pressure slowly, and this will all end. And as I put my thumb on the trigger, uh, that's when I heard the bang. And it, I'm sure it wasn't like a gunshot bang, you know, it's just, it's so tense and quiet that it, I was, I, I was, if anything, I just got scared and I dropped a gun and I'm looking around and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still alive and I'm thinking what happened. And then I noticed the Bible had flown off my desk. So God, God showed up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty dramatic. A lot of people are just astounded when they hear stories like that. I know I am because some of our uh, conversion stories to our faith in Jesus Christ weren't at all dramatic, and others come from really horrific upbringings or trauma or just drug addiction or whatever it might be. And yours, yeah, that's that's a pretty amazing story, Fernando. Um, So now I know we're skipping over a lot of time, and I do want to touch on some of the contents in your book, but we only have a minute and a half in this segment before we have to take a break. You do work as an outreach director for veterans and tell us a little bit about that in a minute and a half before we break. Bottom line is through coaching and mentorship, uh, Step Forward Academy, what we do is we connect with veterans and we say, look, you have a job that's help you find a career because a lot of vets, they get out, they have no direction. They don't know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Kind of like me. I was, you know, what am I going to do? What's my purpose? So what we do is we come alongside these veterans we have different tests from career placement tests, personality tests to show them their strengths and see, look, these careers would best suit you. Let's look at your military experience, update your resume, because right now the workforce is looking for responsible adults mm. and everyone's hiring. So we want to get veterans hot. We want to um, give veterans purpose. Thank you, Fernando. And yes, you, I've never seen so many help wanted or now hiring signs in my life as I have in the last year. And I hear from friends across the country, it's like that everywhere. So I don't know what's going on with the workforce. I have my theories, but it's good to know that there are jobs for veterans, and that's what you're trying to do. Our guest is Fernando Arroyo, and the book is called The Shadow of Death. A lot more coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. 
Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. It is Suicide Awareness Month, and uh, mental health is a huge issue, not just, I mean, with American veterans, obviously, but with people that have struggled in the last couple of years with isolation, fear, fear of a virus, fear of the unknown, fear of whatever the media tells you to be afraid of. But my guest today is Fernando Arroyo. He helps American veterans adjust and, and transition back to civilian life. And that must be so incredibly difficult, Fernando. I have a hard time imagining that. We were talking during the break um, when you watch a movie like American Sniper and see how he comes back and he says, uh, there's a war going on and I'm on my way to the mall, right? There's, so there's a little bit of maybe guilt that you're dealing with. And then he's staring at a blank television. The television is off and he's staring at the screen. Share a little bit about your experience with that and then how you help veterans uh, just transition into civilian life. Yeah. So as we were talking in the break where the scene uh, in the movie American Sniper where Chris Kyle is, you think he's watching a war movie <laughs> and there's like gunshots, explosions happening. But as the camera turns, the TV is off. Mm -hmm. It's all in his head. Wow. And I experienced that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I remember just anywhere I went, I'm walking around. And this is also in the book where I, you know, my last deployment was 15 months. And wow. then I get back, and then a month later, I'm a civilian. And I went from 15 months in combat to all of a sudden, I'm a college student at a local community college. And I'm walking around campus, and there's way too many people for, you know, my liking. Like, it's, I did not feel safe. There's too many people. Wow. Too many hands and eyes and faces to, you know, to scan and um, scanning windows and rooftops, and um, I could hear like a like a record on replay, like a, a song on replay. It's just uh, I could hear the radio. I could hear the radio. I remember the chirp and the static of the radio. I remember the machine guns. I remember the the A ten warthogs, the airplanes providing close air support. I could just hear this stuff. And the only time it would tune out was when I was in class and lecture started. And then, so wow, getting out and. Also, within a few months, my friends, my, my old platoon, they deployed again. They were back in Iraq. And I kind of felt like, oh, man, you know, I, I let them down. There's, there's a war going on, and I'm here learning, you know, whatever college math that I'm, <laughs> I'm taking or whatever it is. You know, I'm taking classes. I'm, I'm going to community college, and there's a war going on. And yeah. I felt like I had let them down. Mm. But the problem was finding my purpose, finding my calling. Mm. You know, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do, but with the lack of community and, and coaching and mentorship, uh, I was kind of just going with it, you know, just going to school, just pass my classes and we'll see what happens kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really believe in like step forward and what we do where we want to help veterans transition, find their purpose, have goals, then with coaching and mentorship, have support and have a community. So, You've shared a little bit about your experience over there and you're coming back um, and a little bit of the guilt when you know your brothers in arms are, are fighting over there. And, and you're, in your case, you went to college. Other people, they come home, they have families, they, they work at a job and their friends are over there still fighting. Um, I'm sure you lost a lot of friends and, and some brothers close to you. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how, how you deal with that or how you dealt with that? Well, what's the the sad part is when you're in combat, um, when you lose a, a friend, when you lose a brother, we we do have a, a short ceremony. I mean, for the most part, I just I remember those terrible calls on the radio where, um, and I knew I, we all knew what it meant when you hear on the radio, everyone report to the aid station. Mm. Uh, I was at Forward Operating Base Summerall, and the aid station was our little mini hospital before. Uh, you know, guys were evacuated to a bigger base and to get uh, more, you know, care for their trauma. But so we knew when we got called to the aid station, somebody died. And I remember we would line up two lines facing each other from the <clears throat> aid station front door to the flight line where the uh, medevac helicopters would land. And then uh, the helicopter would land and shut off its engines. And it was quiet. 
and then the door would open of the aid station and I would see a friend, you know, another, another friend of mine on a stretcher in a body bag mm. covered by the American flag as his fellow platoon members carried him to the helicopter. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, the chaplain, he'd be waiting at the, at the door of the helicopter, mm. uh, chaplain Kramer, <clears throat> he was there and he'd say a prayer and we'd, you know, the body would be loaded onto the chopper and then that was it. That's the ceremony. All right, go, you know, lock and load, get your gear on. You got to go back out. We got missions to do. So losing friends was difficult. How to deal with it, just staying busy. Just continue to, to focus on the mission. Death was something I honestly, I thought, as my prayer in the beginning of the chapter, God, why did you let me down? You should, you should have let me die in Iraq. I thought I was going to die. And I thought, okay, well, at some point, I'm going to be in a body bag, just like my friends. Mm-hmm. And I just got to go out there and just fight as hard as I can and, and keep my guys alive. As long as they're alive and they make it home, I don't care if I die. I wow. just don't want them to get hurt. That's almost like a Christian selflessness when you think of others. And just let me ask you that, that perspective, you know, death could be real at any, any day. How does that impact your Christian life today when it comes to perhaps sharing the gospel? Do you have a sense of urgency? How does that affect your life today in Christ, Fernando? My life today in Christ. Um, first, I, I can share my testimony, which is sharing God's goodness, his mercy, mm. because even when, when I gave up on myself or when I thought I was sure to die, he kept me alive. Not one bullet, not one piece of shrapnel. Wow. Nothing touched me. Three deployments. Uh, on one mission, a sniper even took a shot at me, and um, we, there was a Chechen sniper, and he was paid by al-Qaeda to hunt us, and he killed some of my friends, and he got headshots. But he missed me. He missed me. And I think God said, no, not today. So, wow. Um, so I'm very grateful to be alive, and it's a joy to be able to meet people where they are. Mm. And um, a sense of urgency, I think it's just, it, I don't know, it's necessary yes. to, to share, you know, whatever opportunities I have that I can come along someone who is hurting and I can share the hope in Christ, that's, I have to do that. I Amen. have to. Amen, brother. And and let's talk about what advice you have for vets that are integrating back into non-military life. I mean, uh, if there are some family members that are listening today who have a loved one uh, doing this, what advice do you have for them? So for the veterans, it's um, contact the Ford Academy. We're here. But also what is your purpose? You know, that, that's a question that needs to be answered. What is your plan? Mm. And think serious about it. What community do you have? Mm. Because for a while, the, the biggest thing was uh, is isolation and a lack of accountability. Um, I think this is where, where church is so important, the church family. Yes, yes. You know, my challenge to churches is, is uh, are, are, you, are you welcoming? Are you, do you have small groups? Do you have... Uh, Places where where men can gather, women can gather, and they can openly share without judgment and share their struggles. And you can come alongside them, as the Word says, to, you know, we, we are told to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another. Our church is doing that. My first church when I got out was not, and that's why I mm-hmm. fell into this isolation, wow. and I didn't feel comfortable sharing my struggles. So having a church that is doing what God has commanded us to do, to love our neighbor as ourselves, love those in your community, in the church. Second, for families, is something to look out for is, is uh, isolation. Mm. I hear a lot of people, and, and I get it, like I, writing this book, <laughs> I know God told me to do this. Normally, I don't like talking about this stuff. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I still struggle to do it, to be honest. Mm. But if this is what I have to do to let veterans know, hey, I know what you're going through. Find a place and, and a community where you can talk and, and, and process this stuff. Uh, then this is what I have to do. This is what God's called me to do. But I understand veterans, they don't want to talk about their experiences. 
the best thing anyone can do is be there, be friendly, listen, listen. Don't force war stories out of someone. I hate it when people ask me, have you killed anyone? Oh. I'm not here for your entertainment. Mm. You know, Amen. I'm not. Just be a normal person. If if they want to open up, then they will. Okay. But you have to just be genuinely there for the person and be there to treat them like with true love. I mean, I don't know how to explain this. Yes. It's just, you know, don't try to force some war stories out of people. Well, good and advice. Be, yeah, watch out for isolation. Mm-hmm. And which is mm-hmm. uh, a lot of us have dealt with that. I mean, uh, because of COVID and and uh, what the government did or what the media has, was yeah. promoting. But you talk about the importance of community. That's so so important for. I mean, everybody. The human humans need each other, but especially for yeah. Christians. You say first we need community with God, and second community with friends, with one another, family. Um. So a lot of vets don't have that. Fernando, and there are a lot of people, even if you're not veterans, there are a lot of people just dealing with mental health issues and the frustration of society or depression. And so if if a family member or someone listening suspects someone is suicidal, because the suicide rate has been off the charts in the last two, three years, uh, what yeah. signs should people look for and what can you share that would be helpful if they think someone may be suicidal? Well, when it comes to suicide, do not be afraid to be straightforward and ask the person, are you having thoughts of killing, of harming yourself? Yes or no. Are you having thoughts of harming yourself? That's very important because if you reach that point where you suspect someone is suicidal, you need to be direct. That mm-hmm. it's time yes. to, there, there, there's no, uh, hey, hi, you know, <laughs> the weather's nice. Like, no, it's, you need to save their life. And amen. So be direct when you suspect someone is uh, having thoughts of suicide. So how about some scripture verses that you personally lean on, Fernando? And by the way, the book, friends, is The Shadow of Death. You can get it on Amazon. Brand new, just came out a few weeks ago. So what scripture verses, uh, one or two maybe, that you lean on regularly or you use to assist others? So lately, and this is what it's not, it's not common. It, I actually thought it was funny because I've been asked this before. And, you know, normally people would, would say something like, you know, something in Jeremiah about, I know the plans I have for you or, uh, you know, all these like inspirational quotes. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 3, and Moses is preparing the hearts of the Israelites to enter the promised land. Hmm. And he's telling them, remember, remember the entire way. Remember the 40 years in the wilderness. Remember all your suffering, remember Mm. how God let you go hungry, but fed you with manna, because it's not by bread that man uh, man should live by, but by every word uh, of the Lord. So I'm paraphrasing it, but remember, it's important that we remember our struggles and the times that we prayed to God, and He was there and He answered, because it's so easy, once you overcome a struggle, the next struggle comes, and then you're back to your old behavior throwing your hands up in the air, saying, yep. woe's me, and all this. Like, no. God was there in the past. He's there with you now. So Deuteronomy 8. And uh, what other scriptures? Mm, How about so the, many. <laughs> the, the title of the book, The Shadow of Death, Psalm 23, yeah. right? You're right, Psalm mm-hmm. 23. And, um, yeah, so that's... Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, A reminder that we are going to go through, we're not told we're going to go around the valley. As I walk around the valley of the shadow of death, as you carry me over the valley of the shadow of death, it's as I walk through it. Hmm. But when you look at the the Hebrew, uh, going through the valley of the shadow of death, Going through it, it's actually, it's a, it's a, uh, even though it seems dark and scary, there's a path already made. So God is guiding you through a path that He has already, He's guiding, He's there with you, He's guiding you through this path. Um, awesome. I think the word in Hebrew, it's, it represents like a rampart, like you talk about a fortress. Yes. There's that walkway. Um, God is with you, there is hope. 
Praise God. That's that's really good. I mean, you literally walked through the the valley of the shadow of death and probably a lot of dusty um, you know, valleys over there in Iraq. And Fernando, thank you for your service. We've just got three minutes left. Um, one couple chapters jump out at me, rumors of war, and then the next chapter, the rumors were true. So just out of my curiosity, what were those about? <laughs> so uh, it's really, it's funny because in the military, especially being a paratrooper, we were always on call, ready to go anywhere in the world within 18 hours of notification, we could be there, wow. you know, and so bags packed, ready to go. So there's always rumors. There's always, it's gossip, really. It's funny. <laughs> Some staff sergeant heard at the brigade headquarters, the colonel mentioned that we're going to go to Afghanistan. And it's like the, I, I say it's like telephone, the game telephone, where you whisper something in someone's ear and they pass it along. And by the time it gets to the last person in the room, it's a totally different message. Mm. So that's what I meant. Rumors of war. I've quickly learned it's gossip. And it's like, well, is this happening or not? And um, when the, the rumors were true, it's, well, yeah, there was a lot of hype. And, you know, it was taken way far. I mean, it got to the point where before I went to Afghanistan, the rumors were that Bin Laden had been located in the mountains of Afghanistan by the Pakistan border. We were going to parachute in and surround him and his goons and take him out. And, you know, we were like pumped up. And then <laughs> we found out, well, look, the rumors were true. We are going to Afghanistan, but we're just going to help provide security for the elections. Like, oh, not as uh, not as we say, it's not as sexy, but OK, <laughs> but we but we are going to war. OK, OK. Fascinating. So one minute left, Fernando, the last couple of chapters in your book, and they're short chapters, The End of Myself, and then the final chapter, The Road to Redemption. So when you got back, obviously, did, did you rededicate your life to the Lord, or can you tell us about The Road to Redemption briefly? Yeah, when I, when I reached the low point, when God saved me, when that Bible dropped, I, I gave up. I said, God, I, I, I need help. Okay. Part of the, the reason why I reached that point, looking back, was my pride, where uh, as a as a veteran, having been a paratrooper, having graduated Army Ranger School, been to war three times, you know, you, you start to think you're a tough guy. You start to think like, yeah, yeah, I could handle anything, and that's just not true. Hmm. Um, real strength comes from the Lord, and I was doing things on my own. I was, you know, I, I didn't think I I needed help. I denied that fact, even though I knew it deep down inside, hmm. and. So the end of myself was reaching the point where I said, okay, all right, you saved my life. You kept me from taking my own life. I have given up on myself, and you have never done that. You've never given up on me. Fine. I need help. And it was getting help, talking to a clinical social worker, um, re you know, confessing to my church, look, this is what's going on, and then experiencing the love, experiencing uh, the road to redemption is, uh, understanding the gospel, that there is no sin greater than the blood that was shed on the cross, that mm, amen. Uh, whatever we're going through, God is there. He's right there, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the problem is, are you reaching, are, are we reaching out to God, right? Mm. I was not. I really wasn't. He's but when there. I did, he's like, I mean, I could just picture God, like, man, I, I've been here the whole time, dude. What are you doing, you know? Yeah. It's like, we make our lives harder than they should be. And Amen. Um, but yeah, God is good. Fernando, thank you so much. U.S. Army veteran, former paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. The book is called The Shadow of Death. It is brand new. It is on Amazon and also on his website, which is paratrooperarroyo.com. Brother, God bless you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're, great. you're very welcome. All right, we come back. We'll talk about that. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So Joe Biden apparently had a speech last night, and um, I've seen pictures. And gosh, friends, if, if you're looking at that from a spiritual perspective, it looks demonic. And I want to say that's not a mistake by anybody setting up the background, that the red background that looks really eerie. Uh, his speech was very divisive. I'm reading a little bit about it, what people shared, a little bit of commentary, trying to get both sides. Even someone from CNN 
said it was too militarized, the background and his tone. And I, I, I mean, I don't even, I didn't even hear it, but I'm looking at these comments and going, wow, he said that Donald Trump and the Make America Great Republicans are a threat to the country. So let's just say this, friends. I know a lot of people that are not Trump fans. They're Christians, conservatives. Maybe they're not big Trump fans, but they believe in preserving this great republic under God. They believe in making America great again. Now, we're not talking about dominionism. We're not talking about controlling the country and taking back every institution. They're lost. The media, the government-run school system, corporations, the government, the deep state, we are not going to take back. However, Christians must obey God and be salt and light and love our neighbors and be engaged in what's going on. So before I mention some comments on uh, Biden's divisive speech, and um, wow, it's just so surprising in a way that he would still not unify because he pre- he campaigned on that. I do want to mention something. Um, where is it? I've got so many notes here. Come on, David. Here we go. Uh, National Voter Registration Sunday is September 18. That's a week from, actually, is two weeks from this Sunday. So My Faith Votes is an organization, My Faith Votes, and it's going to host the fourth annual National Voter Registration Sunday. This is what the left doesn't want. The left does not want Christians, conservatives, independents, Republicans to get engaged in politics, to go vote, to register voters. They do not want, this is a nonpartisan organization, but um, National Voter Registration Sunday, it's an annual event, and churches, by the way, churches, don't buy the lie of separation of church and state. Stop it, please. You're thinking about the Johnson Amendment. That would um, take away the church's 501c3. We could do. We could talk a little bit about that. Maybe that's a topic we should talk with Pastor Chris and Andy Woods next Friday when they are in studio. What do you think about the, the 501c3? But no church has ever lost a 501c3. You can actually have political candidates even in your church service if you allow another one. If you uh, if you invite a Republican, if you invite a Democrat, the Democrat probably won't come. If it's an evangelical or Christian church, if they know you're conservative, they probably won't come. But the Republican can come. You can do that in church. In fact, you can have voter registration tables set up. You can help people. You can talk about policy. You can read read the the platforms of the major parties. Here's the Democrat platform. Here's the Republican platform. Here's what you're voting on. You're not voting for a personality. You're voting on policy. Right? So you can do that in church. The only thing you cannot do is endorse a candidate from the pulpit. Technically, right? That's what you can't do. But there's a lot of leftist you know, social justice churches that do that, right? They do uh, endorse candidates. So uh, one thing real quick, want to encourage you about the language issue. Um, when someone says uh, abortion is just removing a pregnancy, they won't use the word abortion. Hey, you know, what? what do you, why do you have any problem with someone dealing with their own body and removing a pregnancy? Well, let's talk about what that thing they're calling pregnancy, as if it's an inane thing that is not life. They don't want to address that life issue. So make sure you're aware of language when someone's talking about these divisive issues. And by the way, talking about calling evil good, Pelosi said it's sinful to restrict abortion. Calling evil good. What is sinful? Saving babies' lives. Restricting abortion. Preserving life in the womb, human life in mother's wombs, she says it's sinful. She used the word. She used the word. She remarked on the sinfulness of restricting abortion and um, uh, for a reproductive health uh, discussion. I don't even want to get into that article. I think I'll start yelling, and you don't want to hear that. Get very passionate about these issues, friends, and I think as Christians we must be. If we love our neighbors, we'll be, we'll be concerned about what they are pushing down our, shoving down our throats, what kind of legislation is being endorsed by whatever politician. And by the way, someone's morality will be legislated in Washington, D.C. You've heard the lie. You can't legislate morality because they don't want Christians in the biblical worldview to direct or influence legislation of morality, telling people what to do. Because then you can't murder. Then you can't 
you know, rape. Then you can't have adultery. And then you can't have, be a homosexual. And then you can't, you know, influence kids. And then you can't do all this stuff that they say anything goes, right? So back to Biden. And I, we talked the other day, and this is what his divisive speech makes worse. We talked the other day with John Haller about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican representative who was swatted three times. If you didn't know that story, swatting is when someone who's a criminal or someone who wants to murder or hurt somebody, they call 911, they report a fake crime. In her case the other day, Marjorie Taylor Greene was awakened at either 1 in the morning or 3 in the morning. And what happened was police were at her door with guns drawn. Why? Someone called 911 and said, there's a woman with a gun. We heard gunfire. Uh, someone got murdered, and and uh, she is going crazy. And uh, I guess there's someone dead in the bathtub. And th- th- the police have to take these set threats seriously at 1 in the morning. So they show up to her house, and there's video surveillance of them showing up, guns drawn. And she has a gun, and she typically at that time in the middle of the night would pick up her gun and but in this case, something told her, she said, not to pick up the gun and go to the front door because she's going to go to the, answer the door. The police rang the doorbell. Guns drawn, ready for something because they heard someone got murdered and a woman was having was shooting. So she opens the door and she says, what's going on? Fortunately, she wasn't armed. If she had a gun in her hand and she opened the door, completely different story, Right. That's what the leftists, and, and they were coming against her policy protecting young children. Uh, this transgenders activists didn't like her policy that she was trying to put forward, her legislation. So they're the ones that called 911 on her. And I guess there, someone confessed. But anyway, this is what happened. So is Biden's divisive rhetoric making this better or worse? What did he campaign on? Being the great unifier. I don't know if you remember that. When he was campaigning against Donald Trump, he associated Trump with chaos and darkness and evil. And here he is saying, we're going to unite America. In fact, one of the slogans of the Biden organization, the Biden administration, the Biden regime, was um, the soul for America. Now, we're, we're fighting for the soul of America, right? As if they're the saviors. And it's just the opposite. They have made it worse. But anyway... This is really important. In her tweet, by the way, Marjorie Taylor Greene said, after multiple failed attempts at removing me from office, they're trying to kill me, literally. And then she explained, a radical transgender activist had my home swatted by local authorities. The radical leftist called police, reported a murder, gave my home address in the hopes that they'd raid my house and end my life. So you're talking about Trump being the divisive one? Come on. He's not even in the Oval Office anymore. And he's still, as much as the the media can still point to President Trump in some way, it's a distraction, friends. It's a smokescreen. It's a diversion. Don't buy the BS, okay? So here's what Jack Hibbs said, because now they're associating us, they would call right-wing extremists, meaning Christians, Bible-believing Christians, conservatives, independents, Republicans that, that believe in the, the moral values that are taught in the Bible, and the, the, maybe the Ten Commandments, they call us radicals and, and uh, extremists now. So they're saying this is a problem, Christian nationalism. They're all Christian nationalists. So Jack Hibbs said it's an old tactic that's been around for thousands of years. When you are terrified of your opponent, you vilify them and make them into a monster. This has been the practice of the rise and fall of nations for thousands of years. What is so flattering about, about what they're doing is they, it actually means the progressive left Democrat is afraid of the biblical worldview Christian who has finally decided to put their faith in action and vote and raise awareness about legislation, something that's going to harm our children, something about the public schools, something about you doing gender reassignment surgery on on three-year-olds or five-year-olds or whatever they're doing now, right? So that's a very important point I thought that Jack Hibbs made. They won't admit that they're afraid of us, but they don't want us involved, friends. They want us to hide our light under a basket, under the table. They want us to keep our faith behind church walls. So um, John Zmirak over at the stream, 
I love his writing, by the way, Zmirak, Z-M-I-R-A-K. He said, the left has invented a dog whistle. It's meant to rile up and goad into action rabid secularists to shame timid Christians and shame the brave ones into silence. The term Christian nationalism he's talking about was clearly workshopped by political professionals and crafted not to convey any genuine meaning, but rather to smear the innocent with guilt by association. So keep your ears open for these words now when they put Christian nationalism out there as this is a bad thing. In other words, uh, we are evil. We shouldn't you know, try to influence our country for righteousness. We shouldn't be proud of America because they, their theory, their theory is, you know, America is an evil, wicked nation that needs to be deconstructed and dismantled. Even the Constitution, uh, rewrite part of that, parts of that. So this is the divide. This is the political divide, but understand the spiritual roots of it when they're changing language and they're calling evil good. Okay. One more time. Next Friday, Pastor Andy Woods and Pastors, uh, Chris Quintana in studio. We're going to call it Unscripted Podcast next Friday. You can email your questions to either one of them on any topic. Here's the email, comments at standupforthetruth.com. Why are they both in studio? They're part of the Fall 2022 Great Lakes Prophecy Conference, September 9, 10, and 11 at Calvary Chapel in Appleton, Wisconsin. I will be speaking Saturday morning. The 10th at 9 a.m. I hope if you're local and regional, you can come down and, and uh, check us out and uh, be part of the conference. And uh, we just appreciate you guys raising awareness about what we're doing. We're trying to anyway, but we're trying to also point out the language. That's exposing deeds of darkness. When they're calling evil good and good evil, they're calling God, the Bible, Christianity evil. Um, they're making a, a, us out to be the bad guys. You know, they don't want to just say we're wrong. They want to make people think we are evil, and that in, that produces some sort of response, right? If we're evil, something's got to be done with us or to us. Okay, so that's next Friday. Guys, uh, remember to share our Facebook, our posts that we do. We know we're shadow banned on there. You literally have to make an effort to search Stand Up For The Truth podcast on Facebook. You, you likely... 95, 97% of you will not see our posts in your newsfeed because we've been shadow banned for probably about seven years now. So hope we wanted to cover more, but I'm really thankful to have had on Fernando Arroyo and his book, um, The Shadow of Death. Very important discussion. And we didn't even get to the Twitter comments on Biden's speech, but we ran out of time. So, friends, uh, next Monday, Labor Day, we will not be here. Enjoy. Enjoy the three-day weekend if you have one. Next Tuesday, very important guest, Linda Harvey of Mission America. We'll be talking about more gender craziness that they're pushing on our kids in the public school. She knows about it. And then Dr. David Geisler next Wednesday and a Holocaust survivor in studio with Scott Shera next Thursday, Vera Sharav. Uh, this is going to be a very important podcast next week. And then Dr. Andy Woods and Chris Quintana. God bless you, friends. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>